All right, and good morning. We are so glad that you are here today at Dorisville. And I know that song was a little edgy, but boy, the words are really good if you'll listen to them. That's a guy named Crowder, and well, like I said, he's kind of edgy, but he sings some really, really good music. And we do want to talk about today Mighty God and the fact that that Mighty God is Mighty Good. My prayer this morning, actually my, my short prayer for this morning was this. I said, God, help me to preach the truth today. And then I said, and Lord, help our congregation to believe the truth. I often realize that, that often, no matter who's speaking, too often, you know, what we say up here, we all agree with yay, but it's almost like a cheerleading. But I don't want it to be a cheerleading pep rally. I want it to be something that we can soak into our lives, especially um, some of the truths we're going to talk about today. Now, you might remember that we've been in Psalm 23 since Noah built the ark, okay? And uh, we've been in Psalm 23 forever, and actually we've been a couple of weeks, this will be the second week, in verse number four, and we talked about even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil, for you are with me. And here's where we want to camp today, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We want to talk about that rod, which demonstrates God as a mighty God, and we want to talk about the staff that demonstrates God as a mighty good God. Let's look at our first teaching point. All right, so we have, oh, boy, where did that come from, buddy? There we go. I thought we cleaned that up, but I guess we didn't. Uh, and that was not Monterey's fault. That was whatever's fault. That was, that was nobody's fault. Okay, here we go. Mighty God, okay? Hang on. Hey, Monterey, we're not in order. I thought we were. Something's not going right. We should be mighty God, mighty good. Our God's always near. You got that one back there? Okay, I'm going to have to do it without slides until we figure it out, okay? All right, so let me read it to you then, okay? Mighty God, mighty good, all right? Now, the word, the word here, the idea here is omni, is omni. Omni means all. It means all, okay? Um, and one that we know, that we use, well, first off, let's do one that we don't normally use or know, omnipresent. What does that mean? All. It means God is everywhere. God's all present, Okay. And then the one that really fits here was, is mighty God, omnipotent God, or all-powerful God. But then we've got also mighty good. And I think I made this one up, but we find out that God is omni-good, or that is, he is all good. Now, one of the things we've talked about in our sermons a couple of times, I want you to write down, if you've not nailed it down yet, is that God not only does good, but God is good. Let me say it again. God not only does good, but God is good. So I wrote, our God is always, there we go, our God is always near always capable, and always sufficient. Now, this is one of those cheer pep rally things I'm fixing to say, okay? But, but it's such a great truth. Our God is the God of always. Our God is the God of always. Whether we're talking about his presence in the past, present, or future, or whether we're talking about the circumstances um, that we face. He is a God of always. He's always near. He's not going anywhere. 
He is here for us. Um, he's always, he's always capable. There's, there's not anything of which God is not capable of doing. And he's always sufficient. God is always, always enough. So in our darkest hour, and you remember when we talked about, yeah, even though, even though we talked about our greatest fear, do you remember that from a couple weeks ago? Okay, our greatest fear Okay, all right, even though, well, here, you know, in our darkest hour, again, what is that darkest fear, that deepest fear that you have? I want you to know today that, that God is sufficient for that. No matter what our greatest fear is, it's greatest. But then he goes on and says this, I go and say this, in our darkest hour, with our deepest questions, with our hardest questions, I, I, always, I always get heart palpitations when somebody walks up and says, Pastor, I have a question. Because I'm, I'm going, oh no, I'm not, I am not going to know. I had someone call me for counseling this week. And I said, I just need to tell you up front, uh, I'm a pretty nice guy. I listen pretty good, but I'm not a counselor. I'll be glad to try to give you some advice, but I'm not, all right? I'm just not a counselor. But, but their life has got some deepest questions. Um, Wednesday morning, I was doing the Baptist Hour. And, you know, they read, you know, everybody knows you don't listen to the Baptist Hour for the preacher. You listen for the Baptist Hour to see if you died overnight, okay? See if they read your name on the Baptist Hour. So they always do the death and funeral announcements first, and then the preacher follows up. And so I'm sitting there listening to these, and I do this every, every time I do it. I do it the first of the month, every month. And, and I listen, and more and more people are right at my age or younger than me or just a little bit older than me. It always makes me face more mortality. But, but Wednesday... Something stopped me in my tracks. Wednesday, something caused me to pause. The name doesn't matter, nor do I remember it. But here's what did matter. It was, a, I think, a baby boy, and age, four days. Age, four days. And that just stopped me. And I said, God, how is it that, that a baby is born to a family and they only get to hold it for four days? God, how is that? You ever have questions like that with God? I want you to know it's okay. It's, it's definitely okay because that's what we're learning. You know, in our, in our darkest hour, you know, our greatest fear, whatever that is for you, or, or with our deepest questions, when, when God just seems to do something that makes absolutely no sense. And by the way, that does not make him less God. It makes him more God because, you know, he told, he told us up front, Isaiah 55, he said, my ways are not your ways. You know, as, as high as the heavens is above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. So, so it's not like it makes him more God, but sometimes we have these questions because God, it just doesn't make sense to us. But I wrote this and said, the Lord of hosts never departs us. So he departs from us. He is a mighty God, omnipotent, and he is mighty good. He is omni-good. In Proverbs 18.10, we read this. The name of the Lord. Now, remember, again, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about for his name's sake, and we really nailed down the idea and concept that God's name is more than just a name. You know, I might just be Dwayne, okay, uh, to you or Susie or Janet, whatever it might be, okay. But, but in the biblical times, okay, people assign great meaning to a name. And here, and here they got the name of the Lord. And there's great meaning to that. It describes, one, his character. Well, that's why it's important when we talked about using the name of God correctly because we are representing his character, who he is. At essence, who he is. God not only does good, does good, he is 
Good. He is good. All right. So, so the name of the Lord, not only describe his character, it describes his capabilities. You know, Jesus said more than once, you know, with God, nothing is impossible. When, when the Virgin Mary was, you know, having a conversation with an angel about being the, the Messiah's mother, and, and, you know, she said, well, how can these things be? I've never known a man. And he said, oh, well, man, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So the name of the Lord is a strong tower. If you're taking notes, write down the word impregnable impregnable. And here it is. Here it is. That word means it's beyond defeat. Defeat is not an option. Defeat is not a possibility when it comes to the name of the Lord. It's a strong tower. It's impregnable. And the righteous man runs into it and is safe. And I love to teach this. And I try to throw it in every once in a while because I know we wrestle. We wrestle with the fact is, you know, I still can't figure this thing out. How is it that I'm going to go to heaven? I've got so many wards and so many flaws and God's holy and I'm not. And we forget the fact when the Bible says something like this, the righteous man runs into it. God declares us righteous. God, God declares us righteous. I love it. And in, in Matthew and chapter 5 and verse number 20, okay, Jesus said, here's the, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he says, now here's what you need to know. And they're listening. Okay, okay. Um, so, unless your righteousness exceeds, is greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, there ain't no way you're going to heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, there ain't no way you're going to heaven. So, so the crowd that day is going, what? What? There's no hope then. I mean, the scribes and Pharisees are professional religious people. Their job is to know the rules, and their job is to keep the rules. And if my righteousness has to exceed theirs, I'll never make it. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you're still wrestling with the idea and the thought that your your righteousness has to exceed that of this person or that person or this rule or that rule. That is not how you go to heaven. You go to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ, yes, but you also go based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, a verse we throw around a lot here because it's so powerful, you know, he took the man, Jesus, who knew no sin, he took the man who knew no sin and made him sin. And made him sin. So we got God the Father talking about Jesus. And God the Father made Jesus sin. Well, why would he do that? So that we, we could become the righteousness of God. So that is how your righteousness is going to exceed that of the professional religious people. That's how your righteousness exceeds all the ones that you go, Yeah, but they're so good and I'm not. And the reason why is because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, I love it. You know, it's like school day, you know, and, and it's right before lunch. And, you know, you've got a ham sandwich and, and your friend's got a bologna sandwich and you really like bologna and he really likes ham. And you say, hey, how about let's do a swap? Well, that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be willing to take your sin. And in place of that, I'm going to give you my righteousness. So that's how this verse is powerful. If, 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 he said, if he said that the righteous, and it was Dwayne's righteousness, we wouldn't have a strong tower. 
Okay, but when you say the righteousness, knowing the righteous man, knowing it came from God, that God declares us righteous because of our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, we can run into it and we are safe. We are safe. We're in a place where nothing, nothing can harm us. And that is a powerful truth. So now we want to take a moment. We're going to kind of leave Psalm 23 behind for a minute and we'll look at mighty God. We're going to look at mighty God, and then we're going to look at a mighty good God. But we still want to talk about David. Um, we're going to find ourselves talking about this young shepherd boy. Let's look at our teaching point. Okay. Mighty God, David, the same guy who wrote Psalm 23. The same guy. The reason why, the reason why David knew about sheep was because as a young man, he was a shepherd. Okay. And so it was natural for him to grow upon that analogy. And so, so we got the same guy who wrote Psalm 23, but now we don't see him holding sheep. He's left his sheep with someone. Daddy sent him out to, to see, check on the brothers and see how they're doing, take them some gifts and stuff. And this, this giant, this giant is bellowing out all this garbage against Israel and against God, okay? So we have that. So we know about David, the, the giant slayer. But what we ought to say is, is David was a great man of faith. He wasn't, he didn't really slay the the dragon. He didn't slay the giant. God really took care of that. But God took care of it um, because he was a man of faith. So David knew something. David knew, now this is very important. David knew that it wasn't the size of the giant in front of him. Now what you need to realize, what giant are you facing? Is it cancer? Is it unemployment? Is a marriage gone south? What is it? What is your giant? Okay? Okay, so this applies. It's not the size of the giant in front of you that matters. It's not what you're facing because what? Omnipotent God, all-powerful, omnipotent good, you know, all good. It's not the size of the giant in front of him that mattered, but the size of the God in him. And that's one of those truths I didn't want to be like a pep rally. You know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing you say at a preacher's conference and everybody goes, woohoo, yeah, yeah, man. You know, and that's fine. That's fine. But I don't want to be a prep, I don't want to be a charity today. I'm not trying to lead a pep rally today. I'm trying to get you to believe truth. I'm trying to get me to believe truth. That no matter what giants we face, Okay, that's not the point. The point is, how big is the God in you? Uh, how much do you believe? How much do you believe? How big do you believe the God is that is in you? And that matters. That matters so much more. Now, the truth is, in this little story we have called David and Goliath, did you know there were three giants there that day? I'm not talking about his brothers either. There are three giants. There was Goliath, and he was about somewhere over nine feet tall, nine, six, ten, one. You know, when you're that tall, it doesn't matter. So there was a giant there, and, and he was a big man. He was a big man. He was a formidable flo- foe, okay? Well-armed, all right? So you got this giant here. But did you know there was another giant? And that giant, now listen carefully, That giant was probably a 15-year-old boy. His name is David. And he was a giant man of faith. 
If you say, how do you know he was a man of faith? He walked up to a guy nine feet six and said, I'm going to cut your head off. That's faith. Amen? That's faith. So we have this giant representing evil, Goliath. But we also have this young man who is a giant of faith. And by the way, don't you dare put him on a pedestal saying, well, I could never be a giant of faith because you're telling God he's wrong about you. Any person can be a giant of faith. Any person can be a giant of faith. So that's two giants. Who do you think the third giant is? Yeah, that would be God. That would be God. We serve a giant of a God. And as tall as Goliath was, he was some, some, some non-count ant in an anthill compared to God. So as, as David prepares to face one giant, we've got to understand he is a giant himself, a man of faith, and, but he also serves a gigantic God. Let's look at these scriptures. 1 Samuel 17, 44. Now, this is really what you'd expect. So here's this 10-foot, 9-foot guy, okay? And he says to David, come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. That's what we expect. The outcome is, is perfectly clear. You've got this kid who's probably 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, and you've got this man, this seasoned warrior who is 9'6", or greater, Okay, he's armed to the teeth, and David has some rocks in his pocket. And so the expected, the logical outcome is this. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. And is that not often the, the result, the logical result that we expect in our giants? When, 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 when these things that I talked about, you know, your health or your marriage or your faith, whatever it might be, that's the outcome. When the giant hollers, we naturally believe him. Be- Man, this is good stuff. Because it's logical and it's expected. All right? We've got to get beyond that. Look at our teaching point. The enemy will belch and spew. I, when I wrote that, I just loved it. The enemy will belch and spew his words of defeat and negativity. And he does and he will. He'll tell you what a failure you are. He'll tell you your God is not adequate. He'll tell you your faith is not adequate. He will come and just belch and spew all these words of defeat and all these words of negativity. But you've got to believe this. This is where I want you to... I'm going to preach you the truth, but I want you to know you've got to believe the truth. If not, we're at a pep rally. If not, we're at a pep rally. But listen... But he can never, he, the giant, can never proceed further than God allows. He can never proceed further than God allows. Satan does not have free reign. He is subject to a sovereign God. I was glad they made it clear. They talked about the bus breaking down. And, you know, we say, well, you know, Satan got a hold of the bus. In some sense, yes. But in another sense, they made it clear, they understood that the bus broke down, so this would happen, so this would happen, this happened. And Phil made it clear last week, because the bus broke down, half of the guys stayed back and there was a four-hour prayer meeting. That would not have happened if the bus hadn't broke down. So don't, <coughs> don't go through your life thinking and believing that Satan can do what he wants to do. He is subject to the authority of an almighty God. God is omnipotent. Satan is not. 
Say it with me. God is omnipotent. Satan is not. So he can never proceed further than God allows or, or touch what God has deemed untouchable. You remember the story of Job? He, he could only do to Job what God allowed it to be. And that's why it goes back to what we talked about two weeks ago. That, you know, this even though thing. We've got to determine that no matter what, what God does or what God allows, either one, we've got to have anchored our faith. That God, no matter what, I'm going, I'm going to trust you. Over in 1 John 4, 4, you know, it says, John the Apostle wrote and said, He who is in you, he who is in you. Now, if you're a Christ child, okay, then that means the Holy Spirit lives within you. That's what John's talking about. He who is in you is greater, is greater than he who is in the world. So when you're going to face your giants, you've got to understand this mighty God that we believe in, this mighty God lives in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Well, David replies, finally. He gets around to replying in verse number 45. Okay, David replied to the Philistine, Okay, Mr. Giant, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. So, so Goliath approaches David with three very formidable weapons. And, and it says somewhere in the story um, just how big. And I, I didn't look it up, and you can look it up. But it talks about how heavy the spearhead was and all these things. They were just simply massive. And so David says, look, I am acutely aware, okay, that you come to me with three extremely powerful weapons. And then he puts a butt. He puts a butt. But I come to you. Goliath, you come to me with spear, sword, and javelin, three powerful weapons, in the hands of a powerful foe. But I need to tell you something, Mr. Goliath, okay? I come to you in the name of the Lord, in the authority of the Lord, declaring God's character and declaring God's, remember, capabilities, God's capabilities. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. defied. So I come, listen, you come to me with your weapons and that's fine, but I want you to know I come to you with the name of the Lord. And now verse 46a and, seven, and 47, I kind of whacked these apart, okay? Mr. Mr. Giant, he, a declaration of faith, Today, the Lord will conquer you. Now, remember what I said? David was not the giant slayer. He was simply a man of faith. Who was going to conquer Goliath? God was. Listen carefully. Who's going to conquer your giants? God is. God is. It's not you. It's not even you and your faith. It's not me. Your, con- your giant killer is God Almighty. Today the Lord will conquer you and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people. This is going to happen today and it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about the fact that God is going to take Goliath down so everyone can know that the Lord, this mighty God, rescues His people. But He doesn't do it with sword and spear. Remember, remember what's expected and logical? Okay, this is again, God is the God of unexpected and illogical. 
And David says, he's going to take you down, but it won't because I'll have a sword in my hand, okay? It's not that I have a spear in my hand. God's going to take you down because my God is greater than you. And then love this. This is the Lord's battle. It's not yours. Some of you are so busy fighting for your marriages. You're fighting for, for different things in your life, okay? Give up the fight. The battle is not yours. It's God's. It's God's. The battle is the Lord's. And guess what? He will give you to us. He's going to do. He is going to do what I can't do. Okay, he's going to do something more. Now, there's a, there's a really, really good truth in Zechariah 4, 6b. It reminds us, it is not by force nor by strength. Okay, so you will not conquer the giants in your life by force and strength. But by my spirit, but by spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we've got to believe. We've got to not only hear truth, we've got to believe truth. And whether you're facing that giant right now, and when I said the word giant, you instantly knew what I was talking about in your life. You said, Dwayne, I can tell you right now what my giant is. Okay? So, so whether, whether it's an unknown giant, a future giant, or a giant in the past that still haunts you, you've got to understand giants fall by the hand of God. Giants fall by the hand of God and not by our hands. He is a mighty God. But not only that, he is mighty good. He is mighty good. And this is when we finally get to Psalm 23 and verse number 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. Now, again, you know, once I'm you know, every once in a while you hear somebody misteach this, and they'll talk about the fact that the rod is what God disciplines us with, and the staff is why he jerks us by the neck and puts us back on course. And that is so wrong and so unfair. Okay, you know, here's a slide that you'll see it in the movie uh, all the time. Here it is. Here it is here again. You know, the, the rod is a weapon that God uses to defend his sheep, to protect his sheep. I love this. There's a bear and he's getting a wolf and getting whopped on the head by the rod. And then the staff is so perfectly, you know, obviously this sheep needed rescuing. And again, that's exactly what the staff does. So when David said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, this is what he had in mind. He knew how many times he had taken a rod and defended his own sheep. He knew how many times he had taken a staff, you know, and and rescued the sheep. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this is our teaching point. Let's start out with the rod. The rod was a club-like weapon designed to defeat the enemies of the sheep, okay? It was long, it was heavier at one end, just like you'd imagine a cub, and a club, and then you would be able to get at the animal without getting too close to the animal, okay? So it was designed to defeat the enemies of the sheep. This metaphor depicts, depicts the good shepherd's determined commitment to keeping us safe. You know, God is a mighty God, and he used spiritual weapons, spiritual weapons. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God demolishing strongholds, okay? So God has a rod that he uses it and uses it to defeat the enemies. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to this. This is something short Lord showed me yesterday. You know, what good, 
or how good would the rod be in the hands of the sheep? How good, how effective would the rod be in the hands of the sheep? I'll give you a hint. Sheep don't have hands. The best the sheep could do is pick the rod up in his mouth and swing his head. What I'm trying to say is this. That's God's weapon, not yours. You're once again having faith in God. You're not going to try to use even that weapon of God. You're not going to pick up the weapon and try to use it. You're going to trust God to use it. You're going to trust God to use it. Psalm 62, 5 through 7 says this. I depend on God alone. I put my hope in Him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender, and I will never, I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. So we got this powerful God who has a powerful weapon to be used to defeat our animals, our enemies. And we've got to allow God to be God. Now, now the next one is this thing called the staff. All right, the staff, and this is what we're familiar with. You saw it in the picture. The staff was the shepherd's tool for rescue and to care for the sheep. You've seen it, you know, it's got a crook on it. And you even see how it was used. If the sheep was getting out of line, the shepherd used it to pull him back into line. If the sheep had fallen down into a, a, a ravine, the shepherd reached down and hooked the sheep and pulled him out that way. Listen, never confuse, never confuse the, the staff for the rod. The staff for the rod. You know, I couldn't decide where to use this, but this might be a good place. Um, I love these, these shows that talk about animals and travel and all that stuff. I watch all the time about uh, African animals. And, and you'll sit there, and you'll often see if the, if the mother lion has a cub that's, that's out, of, out of line, got where it shouldn't be, the, the lion will open, the lioness, will open her mouth and grab the lion, the little cub, either by the head, by the neck, you know, and will carry this, this cub back to a place of safety. And when we're looking at it, every time I go, that has got to hurt. That, that cannot be comfortable. But guess what? The lioness knows exactly what she's doing. She's taken her cub from danger and to a place of safety. You've got to understand the staff is not your enemy. The staff is your friend. And God may use it to hook you and pull you back onto the right path. God may use it to hook and pull you out of a ravine. But it's always, always for your good and not for your bad. It is a multi-purpose tool. It shows the multi-purpose love of our good shepherd for us. So do not, do not fear the staff. Now, let, here's some ex- spiritual examples of what God has done for us as, as our protector, redeemer, and rescuer. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, I love this verse. He has rescued us. There's our word. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, from the darkest dark, and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Imagine, you know, you know sometimes a staff looks like a cross, if you get that. Okay, so so God comes along and and pulls us from darkness into light, into the kingdom of the son he loves. And then he explains and says, in him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God is a God uses his staff 
to rescue us from sin. And over in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18, I'm going to go ahead and try to read this out of of the Bible because it really, it talks about two different things. Um, Paul is weeks away from death. Uh, They're going to cut his head off, okay? And um, so here's what he says in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message, so that the message, so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all Gentiles might hear. So I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So this was a time where Paul had seen time and time again that God rescued him for the sole purpose of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God rescues us to use us in greater ways. But then there's a greater rescue coming. And verse 18 says this, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Paul said there's a rescue coming. It may not seem like a rescue, but it is. There's a rescue coming, and it will end in, the end result will be my leaving the earth and going to heaven. It's still, it's still a rescue. Mighty God, mighty good. And what I want you to do is, my challenge today is to, to receive this truth. I, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to challenge you to go to YouTube in two days and watch this sermon again. Because I know, I know there are difficult times coming in the future, whether it be on a national level, a worldwide level, or just a personal level. There are difficult things coming. There's going to be death and sickness and financial troubles. And we've got to determine that we're going to trust God even now before those things come a part of our lives. So would you bow your heads right there, please? And thank you so much for listening today. You did such a good job. I want to ask you this, you know, if, are you sure, first off, that God is your God, that Jesus is your Savior, and that you have eternal life? That's my first question. So I'll be standing down front. I'll be glad to share with you um, about that this morning. And if you'd like to come to the altar and pray, that would be great. But I've got a feeling most of you know Jesus Christ as Savior. And I'm asking you to believe today, to believe that He is mighty God. He is mighty God. And that He is mighty good. Predetermine now that your God is all-powerful and your God is all good. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of teaching and preaching this word. Um, Speak to us, Father, now during our song of invitation. If there's someone who needs Jesus Christ as Savior, oh, Father, that would be our first and foremost prayer. But for those of us who call ourselves children of God by following Christ, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to believe. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.